You know, I just like to start by asking you that since this is a, I think 1998, um, the, the act called the Employment Equity Act that spoke about advancement of women, amongst other things, um, was promulgated. Whenever I do work on diversity and inclusion beyond South Africa, um, I, I see that every country has what I call their pain points on diversity, any aspect of diversity. Every country has uh, one area where most of the energy goes. Um, guess we, in, in our country, where do most energy go? Yes, I know. Uh, what gets to first page of the star, first page of the star, first page of the August or Sunday Times or whatever. But these days, gender is coming like almost like whoop. Um, it's getting to on par with race now. I did a workshop in Germany, in Hamburg, on, on global diversity, and there it was gender. I was so, I guess, happy when one of the participants said only in 2016, in January 2016, uh, that the, the parliament there decided that they will actually institute um, quotas, they call it quotas in our act, we call it targets, quotas for, for their C-suite because they observed that over the years they thought numbers with regards to gender will improve and they saw that it does not happen automatically and one of the uh, participants was saying yeah we are actually following your country around ensuring that you put targets to ensure that uh, women amongst amongst other targets but particularly we are focusing on gender here so what i really just because i do this work all over uh, the world, just to share with you that um, organizations are in fact countries, some of them are realizing that unless you have deliberate steps and actions to ensure advancement of women, that's, um, that's where you see that a lot of work is needed and targets are needed um, for that purpose. So, can I ask you to guess, just guess now, how many, what percentage of top management, the latest statistics in South Africa, because we've had this since 98. Uh, what percentage of top management in South Africa are women? M men in terms of uh, uh, top management is 79%, okay? So if, if you were to check that, wow, this is like when, when, how many years? from 98. You are actuaries, you can count quicker than me. So it, it just shows that this is the area of work that we still need to do um, a lot of work and, and, and push for um, advancement of women. So women across the world are still asking these questions, 2018. Why don't we have equitable representation of women in our companies? Are there any additional benefits that women bring to leadership positions? Um, so there are still questions like this. Are there any additional, does it matter whether you have a woman or you have a man in, in, in a position? So I thought I would share with you this, um, although it's 2014 from Credit Suisse, um, where they looked at 3,000 companies across the globe. Um, and one of the things they reported on, that in a like-to-like, like-for-like -like, uh, -like comparison, companies with at least one woman on the board Okay, perform better over a nine-year period than those without any. And then they also said that for large-cap stocks uh, greater than 10 billion U.S. dollars, the share price of companies with women directors outperform those without. This amounts to a compound excess return uh, since 2005, if you calculate from when they did this. So there are many organizations that are documenting what they call case studies on does it actually matter whether you have a woman or you don't in your board? Um, BUSA, which is a South African organization now headed by Bona uh, Mohale, they are documenting South African case studies uh, to say, does it actually matter when you have more women 
in your boards and in your leadership, does it impact on the bottom line at all? So it's quite interesting that. I thought I like this. I saw, <laughs> I saw this picture uh, that uh, you can just see here. Is there anything surprising? Uh, McKinsey did this, that groupthink was the number one reason for IMF missed the financial meltdown, according to the Independent Evaluation Office. Studies have found that gender and culturally diverse management teams outperformed homogenous teams during uh, their downturn. When Alan was presenting, in fact, the one thing that he mentioned uh, that I also wanted to engage on him, if in, in homogenous countries, uh, or predominantly homogenous countries, as he mentioned, that China uh, is like that. Some of the things to introduce certain things is easier. This country is very diverse. So um, when you just look at issues of gender around how diverse, even within those, uh, those genders, it shows the work that we need to do on diversity and inclusion. We need to fold our sleeves. As I said in the bigger room, it needs open heart. Unless you tell yourself that, you know what, let me see, let me engage, let me learn. If there's a closed heart, nothing will change at all. So this looks obvious. I mean, what I'm saying is like, yeah, we've been saying it how many times? How many years we've been saying the same thing? So why are companies not capitalizing on what I've just shown you? So I want to ask you this question. In May this year, I, I, I was presenting at San Diego at a big talent uh, conference. Um, and one of the presentations was on behavioral economics and looking at the issue of change from that aspect. So on average, what percentage of people do you think make a sustained behavior change after a good learning intervention? What percentage of people do you think make a sustained change after a good learning intervention? Because we've been talking about gender. You know, it's important to do this. It's important and we go to conferences, we go to workshops, we go to this. What percentage of people make a sustained behavior change? I'm not trying to be clever. I also heard from the workshop. <laughs> so I'm just sharing with you uh, what they said. So the latest stats that they shared with us is that if this is 100% of people who've been in a conference here or the, for the last two days or whatever, and they've attended speeches or, or presentations that matter to them, and they feel that this was a good one, only 15% of people make a sustained behavior change. And even this 15% has conditions because it has to be that learning intervention, it has to be something that you thought was meaningful, that was interesting, 15%. And then it says the, the yellow, the people in yellow, not the yellow people, the, the 70%, um, they're in yellow. These are what we call the New Year resolution people. So in January, starting a new leaf, and excitement that I'm going to live a new life. And you know how people, they go to CNA, buy new journals, like a nice book, you cover it, and you think, this is my new life. After three months, it fizzles, right? And they found that the 70% of the people are like that. And then the last 15%, these ones should not even have bothered to come to a learning intervention. Those are the people when they leave the room, what they learned remained in what room 2.4. What they learned remained, it belonged to that room. When I go back to work, total separation. They don't even reflect on anything that might be worth implementing. There are people like that who just go for a conference. When they leave a conference, work as usual. No connection whatsoever. And, and you know what's painful? is because companies pay for these people anyway. So it doesn't mean that they come for free. But these are worrying. And maybe let's put a pause on them and say, how do you then get the 70% to become more of the blue? Because that's where we want sustained behavior change. If we're talking about gender equity, if we're talking about change of behavior, you want more people 
who will fold their sleeves, who will say, in fact, let, my, let me look within my sphere of influence. Let me look within where I have power. What can I do in my area to increase the number of women or to ensure that the culture in my organization is indeed inclusive? Because if I'm a head of department, if I'm a manager, I'm the one who's appointing staff. I'm the one who's doing this. So what stops people from doing that? So in order for us to be amongst the blue, they said in that conference that there were four conditions that were important. Oh, before the conditions. You probably know the Ebbing House for getting Kev. I'm assuming you know many Kevs. Um, so, it, you know, on the y-axis there, it talks about the percentage of retention. That uh, of information. The x-axis is talking about the time that has lapsed uh, for you to retain that. So if you are in the middle of a learning intervention and it's something meaningful, something useful, you can remember 100%. But look at what happens 30 minutes later. Look at what happened a day later. The retention, you remember 50%. A month later, it's worse. You only remember 20% of what you've learned. It's worse if it's in a field that you don't work with every day, which is why reinforcing messages, reinforcing information is, is quite critical. So they're saying there are four things that are needed for us to change. Number one, there has to be understanding and belief. If you are in a learning intervention, whether it's a business school, it doesn't matter where. When you are in a learning intervention, you need to first of all understand that message and believe that message. I could be listening to somebody and I say, all you are talking is whatever. If I don't believe that message, there's no way I'll change. If I don't believe that women do make a difference when they sit on the board of a company, I don't believe it in my heart, what will make you, me do it? So, you know, there has to be that understanding of that message that's being delivered and belief. Number two, capability and willingness that I need to be capable. Like, for example, many of the, when we run focus groups and do that, and staff tell us that, you know, leaders don't listen or employees don't listen to each other. I'm just using this one as an example. That then you equip leaders, that it doesn't mean that if I have two ears, I know how to listen. Listening is a skill. Uh, that is why there's a whole book written by Nancy Klein called Time to Think. If you have spare time, as if you have sped up, you can read that. It's a very good book that actually equips people that how do we listen effectively? And it works not only at work, at home as well. Listening effectively. Let's say listening is one of the problems. Um, that in that department, I have a leader who never takes feedback. Okay? Um, so engaging in courageous conversations will also require somebody who will be listening. So Capability, you need to equip people. So there has to be capability uh, and willingness. I can go to, I don't know how many training programs, if I'm not willing to implement that, then it's as good as useless. Um, and the third one, they say there has to be opportunity to try it out. How many people have gone to training programs and then you go back, and we get a lot at lower level. You go back to work, and you're excited that you've learned something, and your manager says, listen, don't bother me with the theory here. We're here to work, right? As if when I went for training, and I come with exciting new information that I need to implement, and then I'm told, here, this is work. There was theory in the conference. If there's no opportunity for me to implement, there's no way there's going to be change. The last one, that there has to be motivation. An incentive. If there is no motivation, if there's no incentive, let me use a practical example. Let's say I go to a doctor and my doctor tells me that, Nini, you've got a heart condition or high blood pressure or diabetes, whatever, you need to change your eating habits. At that moment, when I leave my doctor's rooms, it's so fresh in my head. I'm so scared of this new information. I might immediately go via pick and pay because I know there's junk food at home, I go pick and pay or Woolworths and buy healthy food. The message is, is, is fresh in my head. Go buy healthy food and then go to my house, tell everybody else, throw away all the junk, we're going to eat healthy, we are changing our lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, if I belong to the 70%, I'll do that for the first three or so months, 
And after that, I said, everybody's going to die, man. Let me go back to what I was doing. Because there are people who actually give themselves those excuses. That, in fact, I've seen somebody who's been to gym and they're still dead. You know, you can so convince yourself. So, so you know, on, on, on that, so there are clever companies that have found that if you give people incentives, okay, and there's points. They said, Nini, if you go to Woolworths and you buy good food, you get points. Ne? You look at your Apple Watch and you'll see a graph that the points are going. And then if you go to gym, there's something called kuai. Ne? And then you claim smoothie. You must see the people who claim their smoothies. They really stand like, wow, I've got, I've got four freeze. How much is a smoothie? I mean, at the end of the day, you can just see that there is something behavior. It works because there is something that, that you are excited about that's happening. And then you are still doing what the doctor said you must do. But because there's some kind of incentive, you are pushed to do it. So they were saying change of behavior. We need to ensure on anything that we are learning, we need to ensure that if you have these four things, you are more likely to have sustained behavior change. And I'm mentioning it because of the three sessions that I'm presenting. I presented rank, and this one is gender. The other one is uh, on generational one. The gender one, that's the one I feel we've been talking about it for decades. So there is just something around change of behavior that, that, that is uh, required. And part of the change then requires a connection between head, heart, and hands. So the head knowledge here says, I can have intellectual buy-in. It's good to have women in our boards, senior leaders. We need to have more women actuaries at senior head of this. I, the CEO can say all the right things, but it can remain at the head level. If it stops there, and as I always give an example that, I have never seen a spreadsheet that transforms an organization. You can have the nicest of targets sitting in a spreadsheet unless you move, okay, from the head, from just stated things, from the head, to say, how do I engage the heart? What does actually inclusion look like? People think that the problem is only recruitment. It is not only recruitment. I can get women inside the organization. I can poach, I can get some of them into the organization. It depends on what they are coming into. What is the culture that is within uh, that organization? So you have a revolving door. Recruitment department works a lot. And then after four months, they are leaving like this. It's almost like you are never getting to that target. So it's not just the attraction. It is also the retention how you retain them. And retention is not only about people, I know we say it all the time, not only because people have responded to the highest bidder, it is also about the culture. It is also about the environment. So unless you connect with the heart, um, when you get to the hands, therefore, which is implementation, you are now implementing, you are better able to implement in a sustainable way that which you have engaged your heart and have grappled with in your head. It's a better implementation that way. Um, I like examples, so I'll say here, um, in the last 12 months, how many, how many of you have received a speeding fine? And, and all the time for confessions, and all the people who've raised their hands, I know that you've got a driver's license. You know what is right, what is wrong. So, what is the problem here? You're using still the head, heart, and hands. Is that when you drive, ne? and I'm including myself, when you drive and you see that white car under the bridge and you are speeding, what happens? You slow down. And then after you pass them, what happens? Zoop again, right? Because, because and, and if I were to ask all of us, who passed our driver's license, that we know the, the, the speed limit, and we know that if I speed, it is not only dangerous to me, but to people around me as well. So even if I'm late for a meeting, if I have aligned the head, because the head only is compliance, okay? I slow down because I want to pass the officer. Uh, so all what I'm doing, I am avoiding arrest. That's all. I'm avoiding to be arrested. But if I have connected with the heart, it means even if I'm late for a meeting, because I have bought into the concept of safety, 
I don't, I'm not just convinced, I'm really convicted. I've bought into the concept of safety. I will still keep to the speed limit regardless as, at who's looking. And if I'm only implementing from the head level, this is where we're talking about, then you are looking at the letter of the law only, as opposed to broadening it to say the letter and the spirit of the law. So I think the alignment of the head, heart, and hands with many of the things we talk about with regards to change in, in our organizations is where we can uh, improve a lot. So the world is changing around us, right? around gender, because it's not just about recruiting. These are some of the newest things that um, you, you probably have heard about. Uh, this happened only, I think, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, where vets said, um, work on gender is more than what it used to be. Now they've introduced MX as part of the additional pronoun as opposed to only having Mr. and Mrs. Miss Miss because not everybody else identifies uh, with, with the pronouns traditionally as we know them, right? So what they did, just adding one box to the pronoun, simply what they did was simply extending a range of options to create inclusion because there are people who do not identify uh, with that. So this will create anxiety. It's already creating anxiety. Whenever I talk about these things in the workshops, you must hear people saying, give me a break, please. So it's already creating anxiety and it is to be expected because it's quite a shift to the way we, we, uh, we have been understanding the issues of gender. It has been very binary, male, female. So things are changing indeed. So it will create pushback. But it's important to understand that it is the step towards inclusion. Even if you are not affected, it's including other people. It's taking nothing from it. You know, the, the, the message now, vets or whoever else, they didn't say, you must no longer use pronouns. They are just saying we are adding a pronoun. So the, the anger and the irritation, if you just think about it, is that inclusion says, okay, if it makes somebody else feels included, what am I losing? Myself. So I always say, think back. Remember there were years ago we would use terms like cripple. Remember? Invalid. The cripples. The whatever. Those words are not used before because life changes and work evolves around inclusion. So look at it the same way that a few years from now, this will be part and parcel of our everyday life. At the moment, because I think South Africa and maybe a few other countries are still lagging behind those that are already there with regards to changes in the broader gender uh, movement. So as, as you voice your comments, I always give a tip as you voice your comment to say, oh, please. Let's say you comment to her to say, oh, I'm like, I've had it. You don't know the full story of the person next to you. I might have a child who's going through this because you think you know me because we are colleagues. I might have a child who's actually going through the process of transitioning. And, and just your careless comment to me, think about it, that you never know the full story of somebody next to you. So as long as I say you lose nothing by saying, let me just adjust, this is what change is all about with regards to the, the, the aspect of gender. So, so they decided that in the application forms, they will add uh, those things as well. So what are the challenges that I see? The first challenge um, is unconscious bias from decision makers. Whether you look at it globally or wherever, I gave you an example of Germany, uh, the US, whatever, globally, they, you still have many decision makers who are men. Uh, also internalized oppression by some women. There is nothing, can I just share with you, there is nothing as frustrating as we're busy in workshops and I'm talking about gender equity, then you hear a woman, okay? And I'm not saying women shouldn't differ with each other. Then you hear a woman just like spilling cold water on everything that you've just said. That you know what? People must work hard. I got here by myself. And nobody is saying when we're talking about gender equity, we want to spoon feed people. We are saying if we understand the context better. So, and you can imagine in workshops when it's woman against woman, some people are smiling that look at them. They don't even know the story. Okay. So it's important to say, what is it that we are trying to present? Does it make sense? 
Yes, there's still a lot of work that is needed with regards to uh, uh, gender equity. So challenge one, we know there's bias and bias is always there. So the first thing I always like to say that please, although we are talking unconscious bias, we know that bias does not make us bad people. Bias makes us human. We all have biases. I, because I work on it every day, I might be maybe at a, a better level of having worked through some of my biases, but I'm not bias empty or bias free, whatever the right word. There, there are biases that continuously I'm working through them. So what it means is that unconscious bias talks about hidden, the operative word being hidden, hidden inclination or preference that stands in the way of fair judgment. Okay, and we talk about judgment because if I'm interviewing for two candidates, I have to judge whether it's this one or this one. So in that context, we will judge. But if it's not even-handed or it's not fair because I'm biased towards people who look like me, then that's where the problem comes in. And remember, bias happens without intention, without our awareness, without our permission, without our control. Hence, we are surfacing our unconscious bias so that on an ongoing basis, if I have a position of power, it's even more important for me to surface that. And it affects all of us affect all decisions we make because it happens just like that, so quickly. And um, if you were in the presentation last year, I did make this example that, say I'm a chairperson of an interview panel, we're looking for a good finance manager or looking for a new actuary, whatever, and then there are four candidates who are coming for an interview. One of them is, uh, sorry, what's your name? Colega. One of them is young black female, she's Colega, and then she comes in, let's say during the interview, I sense that she's going through, you know, she's anxious. All of us go through that. She's anxious. There's that moment where there's tension and all that. This is what unconscious bias does, right? I'm chairing the panel. In a split second, I look at her, she reminds me of me when I was young. Now, this thing called affinity bias, I don't know her prior to that. Affinity bias, what it does, I then say, Colega, just relax. I know you know your story. Just, we are just human beings. Just relax. I could even say, just breathe, breathe. Don't mind everybody who's around you. And then she continues. She actually continues with her interview. I've created that environment. After Colega comes in Jan, who's uh, younger as well. Also, there are moments where there's a little bit of tension and all that in the interview. Remember, this is not deliberate. It's called unconscious. I'm not intending to do that. So, Jan doesn't remind me of me when I was young. I don't. I, do, I don't. There's no that. That's what unconscious bias does. So, there's no immediate affinity, right? I don't recognize what I just did for colleague, right? And then Jan goes through the difficulty and I allow her to fry in the anxiety. I'm just keeping quiet. This is what it does. It's important for us to say it happens every day, whether we interview, we advertise, we promote, we mentor, who we choose to mentor, who we choose not to mentor, who do we expose to senior leadership. It is somewhere embedded in the system of an organization. Hence, we have to be talking about these things so that they become paramount. The tips that we give uh, people is that we've got shoveling cards, you know, like playing cards like this, but at the back of every card, it's written, I know I may have affinity bias. I know the, so if there's four of you in a panel, you shuffle the cards three minutes before an interview, you just take it, you make it alive. You read it aloud so that you actually hold each other accountable, that you could be doing un something unfair to another candidate. So make it part and parcel because these things happen without our permission. It's possible to counter unconscious bias if we keep each other uh, accountable. And remember, these things are mostly triggered by those primary factors, race, gender, country of origin, all those things. Hence, we need to surface them. So whenever we talk about unconscious bias, we know that they go with little things called micro inequities, and particularly on gender. Some of the examples that we've gotten are uh, this gentleman says, let's be honest, women don't belong here. They are nurturing and maternal by nature. Remember last month, the head of engineering association uh, actually lost his job. This is exactly the comment that he made. I actually took the comment exactly as it is. So sometimes, and these things are called micro, we say they are insignificant, but do you know the impact it has on people's careers? 
Under normal circumstances, said, really, why should I be wasting time listening to these things? A tip, if you happen to say it to a woman who knows her rights enough, who will stand up and say, I will not leave this thing like this, it could lead to a macro uh, impact. So it does help to say, let's talk about these things so that we put them paramount in our awareness. Uh, this gentleman says, so you're on holiday tomorrow. Oh, sorry, I mean working from home. You know, people, what we hear a lot, that organizations that have implemented flexi time, right? Even if it's the policy of the organization, the attitude that some people have around flexi time, that if you choose, therefore, to work from home, or let's say you've just had a baby, and even if it's post your maternity time, because there's flexi time, you're exercising that, the comments... This is sarcastic. If somebody say, no, sorry, sorry, I mean uh, on holiday, working from home. It's not on. This one says, uh, you sound very sharp for a pregnant woman. Guys, people say these things. In fact, the other day, a participant, although this was more in the mining company, said what my supervisor said, that don't worry, she just came back from maternity, her hormones are raging. These are the things that people say. They are no longer, if, if maybe years ago we, we could say these things, they are no longer allowed. They are like no-nos. These are micro-aggressions and uh, micro-iniquities that we should know that uh, uh, they lend people into trouble. They appear insignificant, but they have already had a big impact on people's careers, not only in South Africa. Uh, beyond as well. So whenever you hear the concept of micro-iniquity, micro-aggression with people that you work with, rather engage, you know, engage. I hear people say, I don't know what to call women now. I don't know whether to compliment you on your dress or not. I don't, blah, blah, blah. you know, this one says thank you. This one, I open the door. This one doesn't want, you know, even the way you say it, if you are working with me and this is how you comment, I can see that you're actually not interested in, because it's so flippant, like, you know, Women must tell us what they want now. Um, so it's engaging. It might be tiring and irritating. This is where the world is going that uh, we need. And the media and advertising agencies are also culprits when it comes to issues of gender insensitivity. Um, this one, I know it's, it's not in your uh, field or anything, but I just, you know, I just loved this. Remember Disney? Um, they had to remove a T-shirt, right? from their thing, they, they, they had a t-shirt for girls and the t-shirt for boys. And there was such an uproar. People collected signature, I mean, uh, petitions. This one said, I need a hero. And that was for girls. The boys one, be a hero. Why can't a girl be a hero? So it's, it's the, these little things that we send out, and as we have children, your grandchildren, your little ones, your own children, is that the messages that we need to be, if you hear a child talking either way, I often say nip it in the bud right there. Don't wait for next month. Correct them right now so that they know it's not okay to say this about a girl. It's not okay to say this about a boy. This is the kind of culture that we're um, doing. The, the, the last one in 2010, during the World Cup, I love this. What British Airways did, they had a big campaign. I'll just read this part. They said, with a complimentary companion ticket on a future trip, who will you take? Will you take your wife, your daughter, your son, your brother, your boss, your dad, your mom, your best friend? Who are they talking to? If I count how many times I've bought British tick, whatever tickets, and, and this campaign, and nobody saw that there was anything wrong. Do you know that all what it needs is two lines there? Only two. Yeah, to say your partner and your husband. Because I could choose to take my husband, right? So, and then it was way out there publicized. And it's these things that even advertising agencies or departments of marketing and that, that the little signals that we are sending, that can't you see here? that you are saying this is a huge target. We are targeting future customers, and it clearly excludes a particular uh, gender out of this. Very interesting. So back to the workplace. I want to show you a video clip. We have news tonight about women in the workplace, the day after the first woman became CEO of a big auto company. 
The hard fact is that women run only 4% of companies in the Fortune 500, and a new study shows almost twice as many women as men say they've been turned down for a job because of their sex. So is there a way to capture what's happening on tape? Looking at two people in a job interview, the only difference, their gender? Well, here's ABC Cecilia Vega. He's the boss, she's bossy. The negative way women are perceived at the office in a new ad for Pantene that's gone viral. It's hit a nerve. So we set out to find the truth. Are women who act exactly the same as men seen differently? Listen to this woman. How do you feel about her as a job candidate? I know the Windows operating systems like the back of my hand, no problem. Now, listen to him. I know the Windows operating systems like the back of my hand, no problem. The candidates in these videos are actors in a Yale University hiring experiment. The resumes, identical. The interviews, identical. I'm extremely good at sizing up people quickly and delegating responsibility accordingly. The only difference is gender. But when it comes to who got the job? I thought the male applicant had better soft skills. I'd say the woman was arrogant and overselling. In hundreds of evaluations, the female job seekers come off as more aggressive, are rated less likable, and they're less likely to be hired. Isn't it a catch-22? You're supposed to be strong to get that job, and you're saying if you're too strong, you won't get it. You need to behave in this dominant way to advance as a woman in the workplace, but you're seen negatively because that's not how we expect women to behave. And if you think this is just male bias, it's not. Both men and women doing the hiring made the same call. I think there's a level of arrogance that becomes, that might be okay to be a manager, but then there's a step above and I thought she was slightly above that. So let's talk. And when we revealed our study results. I was surprised by my uh, reaction. What does that say about us? We have a long way to go. A science experiment with real life lessons about who gets the job, who gets passed over, and why? Cecilia Vega, ABC News, New Haven, Connecticut. Comments. Comments. What did you observe there? Hmm? Remember that the, the, the candidates themselves uh, are the only ones who knew this was a role play. The panel thought they were truly interviewing. So, what did you pick up there? How men say, I thought. What did you pick up? Yes? I think the response to the interview is shaped by the perception of how people expect women to behave and how men expect men to behave, even if they're behaving exactly the same. Uh, the message that is received is, cons is received differently. Mm. Do you, is it still happening? This thing do you, that you saw here, is it, is it happening? Where, where the boss is the boss, the woman is bossy, but the man is just the boss. For me, when I said earlier, the part that I guess sort of sits like this, more is the fact that whenever we talk about issues of conscious or unconscious bias, we often say that do you know that unconscious bias can be at odds with your rational goals? I want to address just the woman amongst the panel. It can be at odds with your rational goals. You, I might be known as a gender activist of note that I'm fighting for women's rights. You know, you can look at women as less da da da, but my brain has learned over the years that women are less than. It's often embarrassing to accept, but if you grew up in a culture, in an environment where you are often told, okay, where my dad is saying, you are the one who will wash the dishes, uh, the boys will do this, and you grow up in that culture, okay? And that culture is not negated in many other ways. It sits in your brain without even being aware. You end, you buy the story. So the woman who was commenting there that there's a measure of arrogance, but I think she, she came, I don't know what her words are, but she was a little bit over the line 
with regards to, to, to the arrogance. So you're not only having to face maybe the unconscious bias of men, but because we internalize as well. We buy the story. When I say we, I'm talking as a woman, we sometimes buy the story. We have bought it so successfully that the minute I become a manager, I have picked up all the negative behavior of my previous manager. I bang the chair. I do this. I call people F this, F that, because I think this is how a, an ideal of a good manager is. I have bought the story. And this is the work, whenever we do diversity and inclusion, we say we need intra. I need to hold up the mirror to say, what work do I need to do, first of all, me, about women also, that I might still be showing signals of that story that I bought. It truly is, you know, we can't just say in gender equity, please just talk to men to understand. We need to talk to ourselves as well. Because sometimes women do this to other women. Am I talking... Something that we all identify with. This is where the manual says you do this or that. Do you actually see it happening uh, in, in the workplace? So I just want with somebody next to you for two minutes, share example of gender discrimination you have observed in your organization. And if anything, did it have an impact on the person who was the recipient of that uh, discrimination? Don't turn to your person on your left or right. Uh, you each have two minutes to, to share this about, and there's quite a, a, a bigger exercise coming where we're going to have a dialogue around this. Turn to your right or left. Okay, let's, let's hear three or four people share with us what are some examples. Um, yes, there's already a hand right there. When so, you uh, just say your name and... Monsa Chocola from Hanover. Um, yeah, this is a bit shameful, but when I was interviewing for a position in my team, Unconsciously or consciously, I said, I don't want a woman in my team. Thank yeah. you for the honesty. So it, it's, 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 I interviewed a lot of people, but I remember thinking, Ish, yeah, I think I can work better with a guy. And I'm being honest here. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I can protected. work better with a guy <laughs> than with want. another woman. And yeah, 
which does not help my gender, but yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much for sharing because it is a point of vulnerability that exactly what I was saying, that also we as women, at least you were not saying what we often hear, uh, people say, I don't want to work with, with women because women gossip or they are there. Have you heard people say that, that women gossip, therefore I don't want to report to a woman? And I often say, what are you saying about you, your mother, your sister? Yeah, the minute you say that and you are a woman, what are you saying about you? You see, we don't even, and there are lots of men who gossip, lots. So it's, it's not dedicated to some or other gender. But thanks for sharing that. There was a hand there, yes. Uh, Deepa Dasset, RGA. Um, in response to Mwansa's... Sorry, the uh, name is? Deepa. Okay. Um, I think in, in response to Mwansa's um, admission, I think why, why that is is because I think there's so few positions for women at a higher level yeah. that you create this culture of, you know, trying to push past each other just so that you can get to, that top, get to the top. And uh, um, I was actually reading... It's actually a, an actress, Mindy Kaling, who said that she said, what, instead of trying to push past each other and you know, beat each other down just to get to that one position, why aren't we just creating more positions mm, for, mm. for everyone so yes. that there's enough for everyone mm, so that mm. we don't have to keep pushing each other down? Yes. And also just you know, holding each other accountable, checking uh, uh, what it is that we are doing, nudging each other to say, you know, why are you doing that? That's the work that we have to do as well. Yes, ma'am. Um, hi. I actually also don't have a, an example, but I want to respond to that as well. Tiffany Elliott. Um, so I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about token um, people within a group, within a homogenous group. So it will be the token black guy in movies token or woman. the token woman in a group. And one of the prices of being a token is that you have to turn your back on your own kind every once in a while because that is how you fit in mm -hmm. with what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that has happened in history with yes. many women and many um, people Absolutely. of different races. And I think that's what women do because yeah. if we don't do that, we don't fit in yeah. and we stand alone. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to get rid of the token status and get more people in. Especially if we reward certain behavior. And I'm not saying, I hope we underline this, I'm not saying all men behave badly. That's not what I'm saying. If we, if we sometimes reward bad behavior, let's say you have one of the top, top finance director who's really, in terms of their corporate, so good. And then they're horrible in managing people. They're really bad. Whenever you do engagement surveys, you know how we have green, yellow, red? They, they are now maroon. It's not red. They are so bad. And then what you see, what organizations do, it's time for awards. You see the same manager climbing the stage. Yeah, this is our best leader. I often say, you need to redefine what's good leadership. Because if that person has eight people reporting to him, right? They is climbing the stage. We are saying you are a great leader. I don't care how often you say it. It means you are going against your own values. And people don't believe what you say. They watch what you do. And that is the truth that lends more. So this is, you know, thanks, thanks, Tiffany, because this is exactly uh, one last year. Yes, ma'am. Um, could I... In um, a certain interview, I was asked if I planned on having more children. Yes. Do you know that some people don't know that that's not a right question, you know? And that is why, you know, when we talk like this, it's, 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 it's like, let's just educate each other. We don't have to be fighting. But there are do's and don'ts of interviews. Uh, you do not ask someone if you intend having children because check, out, check it. What do you want to do with that answer? If you think about it, you, if I say yes, then I said, mm, maybe let me check another candidate. You might remember, it was all over in the papers where the Film and Publication Board, uh, one of their top board members, actually they had to pay because in the interview, one of the candidates who came for an interview was lesbian and openly so. Here is a senior member saying, hmm, tell me who's the man or how do you sleep in the... It was in the papers. She asked in a panel like this, 
and asking her about her sleeping, whatever. You know, it was so horrible. But the point is, people sometimes don't know the do's and don'ts of interviewing, that there are certain questions you do not ask because they imply certain things, right? So you might find this interesting that the World Economic Forum um, in their report, they do the gender gap analysis and they found that gender parity in education has been comparatively high, that women and men, in terms of education, they, 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 they're actually good. However, pay gap, pay gap. Here, the percentage of the, you know, in terms of men and women getting educated is narrowing, but when it comes to paying, sure, 58%, guys, is huge. Hey? We then did our own, uh, in my company we did, it was uh, 32 companies participated in South Africa uh, with knowledge resources. We did a, 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 a diversity and inclusion uh, survey in South Africa. And when we were asking things like equal pay, equal treatment, sexist comments and all that, if we group this, we found that between 56 and 64% of respondents overall felt that their firm handled these positively. And we were excited. Except when you unpack and only check women about the same question, 66% of male respondents said that women received equal pay compared to 21% of women on the same question. So the issue of equal pay, guys, is real. If maybe in your organization it might not be, but generally the issue of equal pay for equal work is still on the table. Uh, similarly, 60% of male respondents said that female managers were always treated the same as male managers, but only 28% of women agreed with that. So this shows that the work that we have around not only recruiting, not only paying, but also environment and how we treat uh, each other. This was worse. When they, um, they, they, the global research company that did uh, Ipsos, in South Africa. Ipsos is a, 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 a French company. They are all global, but their results for South Africa. Uh, they said that women in South Africa earn 27% less than their male counterparts. The report which surveyed more than 3,500 employed South Africans across occupations. This last part, they found that this gap was even higher amongst top earners. Senior? Worrying. So, push your HR, whatever, to check that are we doing gender pay analysis. Uh, I just want to show you a quick uh, clip again, and then we're getting to how do we work with some of these early messages that are forcing us not to look at equity in play. You might have seen this clip, but reinforce the message. Okay, so and I'm gonna just give you some actions to do and just do the first thing that comes to mind. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. Now throw like a girl. Aw. But check this now, they ask young girls. My name is Dakota and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. Yes. Yay. That's what it should so be. Do you think you just insulted your sister? No. Ooh. Yeah. Is like a girl a good thing? Actually, I don't know what it really if it's a bad thing or a good thing. Sounds like a bad thing. <laughs> Sounds like you're trying to humiliate someone. Okay, let's we'll skip it. I just wanted to show you that part to say if you look at that girl, when they say run like a girl, she really and what do we do to our children when they become older? What actually happens to them? Who said this 
You know, this is what run like a, because this, go back. When I, whenever I say diversity and inclusion, let's go back at home. What are we saying? What are we teaching kids? What are we, how are we correcting them? When they are young, for them, being a girl is run as fast as you can. When they get to, I don't know, 21 or whatever, this is what it means. It's like, ooh, ooh, you know, even that boy who was trying to show you. What is it that we are doing? There is something about early messages uh, that we need to check. That we, as kids grow, and they hear us talking, and we give them signals, and they pick up those signals, and they grow up in an environment where now we want to change it around. And we want to say, this is not how we want it. So this is... Uh, and exercises and quick exercise before uh, we go. Please, I'm going to ask you to stand up and mingle. When I say mingle, just walk aimlessly in the room. Yeah, just aimlessly. Just walk. Just walk, walk, walk. And then stop. The person closest to you who is of the same gender. Closest to you of the same gender okay this is what you're going to do this is the exercise with someone of the same gender what did your mother or mother figure because not everybody has a mother mother or mother figure uh, teach you about being a girl or if you are a, a man of course that would be the second part of the question what did your father or father t figure teach you about being a boy. Before you start with that, and it's just be uh, one and a half minutes each, before you start with that, I need to say the following. I am aware of the binary language, right? Uh, because we have to be constantly educating, but part of this is also a binary awakening exercise to say you personally might not identify with boy or girl, but the way you, you were brought up, you were either brought up or socialized as either of the two. So that's how you should look at it. We are not uh, disregarding the language of binary that we need to get rid of. So one and a half minutes, choose whose person A or B, Choose between the two of you. And then person, person B, you start talking, okay? I know. Person B, you have one and a half minutes to share this. Swap, swap to the, uh, the listener is now the one who's talking. The listener is now the talker. Do you know what time should we be finishing? Um, I don't know when you can <coughs> Sorry. 140. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Thank you. Okay, time up. I didn't see the time. Time up. Time up. This is Mingle again. Time up. Mingle, thank your partner. Say thank you. Mingle again. Mingle again. Mingle. Stop. Still with the same gender. Still with the same gender. This is your question. This is your question. For the women in the room, what aspect of being a woman frustrates you? What aspect of uh, uh, being a woman do you enjoy? And the same uh, question for the men. Just half a minute. You're just a taster. What aspect of being a woman sometimes frustrates you and that of being a man?
Okay, Swap. The listener is now the talker. Swap. Okay, stop. Stop. The very last question. Mingle for the last time. Mingle for the last time. Don't follow your friends. Just mingle. <laughs> stop. Now someone of a different gender. your question here is your question you'll choose who starts for the women how would you uh, like to have been raised as a girl what do you wish you had been taught that maybe you were not and the same goes for the men half a minute each quick Swap, swap, swap. close with the same partner our closing is what are the tips and insights that you want to give me as a male colleague what are the tips insights you want to give me as a female colleague go for it one minute each and then we close what tips can you give each other Swap so that we finish. closing statement you can just read it from where you are uh, because time is gone what what we call common blind spots uh, and how to grow gender intelligence um, women state that they feel excluded through the following through their voices not being heard in meetings and questions ideas overlooked or disregarded in the non-collaborative uh, meetings 
quick decision-making, informal men-only networks, mentoring and sponsoring programs, with men primarily supporting, promoting other women, men avoiding mentoring women for fear of misperceptions. And then on this side, situations where men say they feel most uncomfortable with women, challenging and having robust debates with women, uh, giving feedback during performance reviews, careless language, including sexual innuendos, of color jokes and profanity, changing uh, rules of civility, like opening doors. I no longer know whether I should open a door for you or whatever. These are some of the things commonly that have been repeated. So when I say give each other tips, just do work back at work to say, do you want a man to open it? Because there are women who like that, right? It doesn't mean that everybody should be saying, don't open a door for me. It's an engagement process. If you work with women in your division, the best is to engage with them and ask what makes you comfortable. That's how we build inclusive cultures. Thank you very much. Their time is gone.